I didn't think that channeling was the problem. I thought that protection was the problem, right? I was doing it wrong. I wasn't protecting myself as thoroughly as I should have. And that's why something dark came in. It wasn't the fact that I was opening myself up to possession. It was the way I was doing it. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Raised and Redeemed podcast and YouTube channel. I'm your host, Michaela Nikolenko, and I started this show after finally finding my home in Christ. I grew up in a home with lots of abuse and addiction where Christianity became something that repelled me. I spent my early adulthood seeking God in other religions, tarot cards, psychedelics, and even myself. I didn't realize how much hell I had pulled up into my life until I came face to face with the dark side of the spirit world and Jesus fought hard to save me. Now I live to serve his will and host a platform where others can share their story too. If you're looking for a show that talks about real things and provides encouragement for those who have been to the dark side and back, this is the show for you. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share this show with anyone that you feel might be encouraged by it too. Quick disclaimer, what we can agree on here is that we love Jesus and he is our Lord and Savior. I don't filter what my guests say, so there will most likely be something along the way that you don't agree with, and that's okay. I highly recommend spending time researching and praying about anything that gets said that might trouble you. With all that said, thank you so much for joining me, and welcome to the Raised and Redeemed family. Hey you guys, today we're talking to Anna Empowers. She is a faith-based life coach podcast host of the Living for Christ podcast, and someone who has recently been saved out of the new age. Anastasia grew up in a family who considered themselves to be Russian Orthodox Christians, but there was virtually no talk of Jesus at home and even littler understanding of the Bible. This led to her later seeking God and seeking healing through new age practices like yoga, shadow work, and inner child healing. But Anastasia did not stop there. She kept seeking truth and seeking love and community, and it eventually led her back to church and home to Jesus. Today, she'll be telling that story. So without further ado, let's get on to the show. Okay, good afternoon, everybody. Today, I have Anna. Do you mostly go by Anna or Anastasia? Either is good. I usually go by Anastasia. Anastasia. I love Anastasia. That's so beautiful. Well, I have Anastasia on the show today. She is a faith-based coach, podcast host of the Living for Christ podcast, and she was saved from the new age. And I had the honor of being on her podcast a couple weeks ago, and it was just a great conversation. I love talking to her and getting to know a little bit more about her. She has an amazing testimony, so I'm so excited to have you uh, on the Raise and Redeem podcast to share that with us today. Thank you so much, Michaela. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. So I'm gonna like you are so amazing at just like letting the spirit roll and, you know, trusting him um, in what you're about to say. So I just want to kind of, you know, give you the ball and let you tell your testimony. Um, Yeah, if you would go back to the beginning for us. Sounds good. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? 
Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So I was raised Russian Orthodox Christian. I wasn't really raised in religion or faith per se. Like that was a label we carried, but we didn't practice Christianity really. I never read the Bible as a kid. In fact, I remember, I, I think my parents don't even know where this came from. I think they said someone gifted us a kid's Bible. Maybe it was one of my grandparents, but I remember they had set up like my room and my desk and it was on one of the shelves at my desk and I pulled it down and I tried to read it and I got confused and I got bored and I put it back. <laughs> that was my experience with the Bible. That was it. That was the only time I ever opened a Bible growing up. And we never really went to church except for select Easter and Christmas services, not even all of them. So I wasn't really raised in the faith. And if anything, my dad was very, very skeptical growing up. Um, He also carried the label of Orthodox Christian um, and he was baptized and such, but he didn't live any of it. And he was extremely skeptical about anything supernatural or spiritual. Right. And my mom was the exact opposite. She dabbled in everything. She, I remember her like reading my palm growing up. She had a bunch of books on witchcraft. I remember later when, uh, so I'm from Russia originally, from Moscow, Russia. Later when we would visit on occasion, we would stay and in the apartment that I grew up in. Most of the time it was rented out, but sometimes it was available and we would stay there. And I was going through the books as like a 14-year-old girl. I was a teenager. I was going through the books that she had there. And there were some really weird things. There were like magic spells where you take like a chicken. It was just really weird. Yeah. Excessively witchy stuff that I don't remember her ever practicing anything like that. But she had these books, right? Mm -hmm. So she was interested in astrology, witchcrafts palmistry, all of it, all, all the now new age stuff, but the stuff has been around forever, right? The witchy stuff. But yet she considered herself an Orthodox Christian. Exactly. Yeah. I think, and we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. I think one of the issues in retrospect now that I see with Orthodox Christianity, I don't know as much if Catholicism covers this stuff. I know my husband is Catholic and in upbringing at least. Um, and he stayed away from witchy stuff, but <laughs> I don't know. I think they also study the Bible a lot more. At least he did growing up. Like he knows the Bible better than I did, which is not at all. Yeah. That is something I wanted to ask you. It's like, because I see this, I married, um, my husband is Russian Christian Orthodox and, um, he's got certain family members that are, you know, they're great people, amazing hearted, um, they consider themselves Christians, but yet they think it's okay to like read off the horoscopes and do all of these kinds of things. And so I remember asking you about that. Like, I think I asked you, I was like, do you think that's because religion was illegal in the Soviet Union? And so they just didn't get educated. And you kind of explained, you're like, oh, I think it's because just culturally, there's not a whole lot of Bible education in Eastern Orthodox religious traditions? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's both. I know that I brought this up to my parents, not exactly in this context, in the context of divination or witchcraft or anything, but in the context of, Hey, my husband and I started going to church and they were like, what? And I talked about Bible study and things like that, that I was a part of. 
And they shared with me, oh, they never really read the Bible. They never really studied the Bible. And they shared with me also that like they even had to get baptized in secret because they were growing up in the Soviet Union. So I think at least in their minds, and I'm sure if there's truth to this, it's partially that is partially the fact that it had to be secret, anything that you were participating in and when it comes to religion and faith. And also I'll go back to the conversation that I mentioned I had with you. Um, so I went to this other church nearby here as an adult um, where the pastor and someone else in the leadership team come from a Greek Orthodox background. Okay. This church now goes line by line through the Bible, mm-hmm. but they come from that background and they both said, like related to my story in Russian Orthodox Christianity and said that they never opened the Bible growing up. They never studied it. Like you go to this service and there's this patriarch, I think is the best translation for what he's called. He's like, like a father in, in the priesthood and Catholicism. And he, they, they do these rituals. Like there's a lot of incense. There's a lot of, it sounds like chanting. I think it's singing. It's like very chanty singing <laughs> and it's very ritualistic. It's probably similar ish to a Catholic service, which I went to once. Um, but I would say even more tricked out. (laughs) Yeah. So like you said, you didn't really go to church growing up. So, um, so you didn't really experience these churches, even though your family went by the title of Orthodox Christian. Yeah. I experienced these services a handful of times, like probably literally a handful, five or fewer times that I can remember. And I was baptized in the church when I was six, I think. Um, They wait till you're kind of an older kid. Unlike, I think the Catholic tradition, you go as soon as you can. (laughs) So I was baptized. I was taken to services very rarely, um, but it wasn't a regular part of our life. Okay. Okay. So I've been to um, the Ukrainian church services, the Greek Orthodox with my husband, and it's exactly how uh, you described it, where it's mostly like you listen to them like chant and like a kind of melody and church can go on for like three to four hours. And a lot of times you have to be standing like most of like, if it's like the real traditional one, you have to be standing. And I was not prepared for that. I wore heels my first time uh, and was in pain, but we also have a Greek Orthodox one where there's pews and you can sit, but it is like, it's a very internal service and you don't really know what they're singing. It's, it's pretty, but like, you don't really hear from the priest until the end. And he says like a 30 second or, you know, up to like five minute thing about what's new or like maybe he sends you with like a little tidbit. Um, But it's definitely not like the kind of Bible education or the teachings about Jesus or his life or anything like that, that we get in the non-denominational churches. So my husband and I were talking about that, like how if only we could combine the two like the Bible education from our church and then like the beautiful ritual and ceremony and tradition from his church and his culture, then that would be like perfect. (laughs) Yeah. My husband had a really hard time leaving behind the ritualistic ceremonial aspect of the Catholic mass as well. Mm -hmm. When we first started looking for churches about a year ago, we mostly looked at non-denominational Christian churches and they're all kind of like, as you know, like a big auditorium sort of space. And 
like a concert and <laughs> all this. They're very modern for any of those who has never been to one. Uh, but I think most churches now in America are kind of like that. Yeah. So they're very different from this more traditional ritual-based service. And my husband had a really hard time approaching that non-denominational service as church. Mm-hmm. It, it seemed like so secular in a sense. It seemed so modern and far removed from the service he was used to. Um, but now the more that we're in it and the more that we also study the Bible more in depth, we realize that actually some of those ceremonial approaches are unnecessary because they kind of take away from the saved by grace through faith element. Mm -hmm. It's both the Orthodox and the Catholic faith have a lot more of a workspace mentality. And part of the service has to do with that. I definitely, I, I know what you're talking about. And that was something like when I first started building my relationship with Jesus, I was like, what the heck? Like I was, I realized all the differences between religion and uh, relationship. And I almost kind of like was like judgy towards religion though. It kind of went in the a dark kind of way. So, you know, luckily I married my husband who was able to sort of humble me personally a little bit to see an appreciation for the the rituals that his family does because I remember just being like okay not kind of like the same thing like none of this is you don't have to do this but I do feel like there is something beautiful and like remembering and like doing these things but those things don't equate to your goodness or to your salvation it's just like um nice to do over the years to remember to remember God to remember why but if you lose the why which I think is which I think happens a lot with these sort of traditional um, religions, even from like, you know, traditional Jewish people to Orthodox to Catholics, a lot of times they forget the why altogether. And that goes back to that should be first and foremost, the relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons the why gets lost is because we don't read the Bible in those religions. <laughs> so, so <straight> back. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly like you described your, I don't know if it's first or last, <laughs> first um, Ukrainian church service mm-hmm. where even, and I don't know if they had it in Ukrainian or a mix of Ukrainian and English or only English. You Oftentimes these American um, Orthodox churches have a mix. Yeah, it was all in Ukrainian, my first okay. one. <laughs> <laughs> so... Even if you spoke Ukrainian, I, at least I can speak from my experience, they speak um, in most Russian Orthodox services, kind of an older Russian dialect. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand anything they're saying. I speak Russian as my first language, and I still have no idea what's going on. I think if you go to them regularly and you like, study up on the ceremony maybe a little bit somehow, you can start to understand, but most people don't. Wow, so, that's Interesting. Because my husband, that's his first language too, is Russian. And I'll ask him, I'm like, what what are they saying? Can you translate? And he's like, I don't know what they're saying either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So not only do we not get direct teaching in the service, we also oftentimes just don't know what's going on. We just yeah. stand there for several hours. It becomes a chore mm-hmm. unless you're really close to God. Because um, there are, we call them babushkas. They're these like, <laughs> yes. there are these older women um, who, 
at least when I was growing up, they would wear, they would cover their hair all the time, not just in church. In the Russian Orthodox tradition, it's, it's expected for a woman to cover her hair and wear a long skirt. Um, They're very traditional in that sense, but these women are so devout that they would keep their hair covered all the time, like out in public as well. And they're usually like those older generations. Like when I was little, they were old. So, and they're usually from more rural areas of Russia. So they're like less modern um, in their lifestyle in general. Yeah, I know exactly what you're what you're talking about. Um, yeah, I have to wear the head covering whenever I go with them to these churches too. So I feel like I've gotten so excited. I've kind of deviated from your testimony because <laughs> I have so many questions just about the Orthodox um, church and upbringing because of what I've seen uh, mm-hmm. and joining forces with my husband's family. So I want to go back to, so this was like your upbringing. You went a handful of times um, and then like, what was the next part? You guys moved to the States. Was that what happened next? Yeah. So when I was seven in 2003, we moved to the States. Um, Spiritually, religiously, that didn't change all that much. I said in my testimony that I recorded myself a little bit about how like maybe that was an excuse for why maybe we went less often to church, but I don't really know if we went less often. It was definitely an even smaller part of my life. Because my grandmother, my mom's mom specifically, was a little bit more in relationship with God. I don't think she ever read the Bible either, but she prayed. She spoke to God. She didn't pray before meals or anything like that. But like, I, she spoke about God more than anyone else in my family ever. So whenever we walked by a church, and this is pretty typical um, in Russian Orthodox churches is to just go into a church, not during a service and pray. I think it's the same with the like, Catholic churches as well. Mm-hmm. So whenever we would walk by a church, we would oftentimes go in and how we did prayer at the time was we would like light a candle in front of an icon and and pray. So my grandmother did that quite a bit. I think she had a stronger relationship than God that, with God than anyone else I knew. So with that distance, I lost that as well. So I think internally, I felt like there was this shift of even less faith and spiritual presence in my life. Um, But I think externally, in terms of what my parents did immediately, I don't think much changed. It was just, just as not part of our lives. I'll just fast forward a little bit to adolescence, um, because I think that is where the door really opened to new age down the line. So I didn't start dabbling in anything new age until maybe high school. I started doing yoga, (laughs) but before then, like middle school, adolescence, that's just when the trauma hit. That's when depression hit me around age 13, self-harm, um, and just intense emotions that probably had something to do with hormones. (laughs) So as those hormones spiked, like everything just intensified and it feels like the floodgates opened and this stuff that I didn't know how to process as a kid just came up and out. And that was the beginning of my searching, my searching for something to help me with that, to heal me, to help me understand what's going on and why I'm feeling this way. And that led me into self-help psychology. I studied neuroscience in college, um, that whole world. And before that, even in high school, I started meditating and doing yoga. 
Okay. That was probably the start of it. Now that I think of it, I was introduced to yoga through my school. Um, we had senior year, we had, I think it was the first year we had the option to choose our fitness class. Mm -hmm. So one of the options was, I think it was called mindfulness, but it was like yoga and meditation and vision boards and all of that. In retrospect, I think that opened the door for you to yoga for me. Like, I think I didn't really do it until then. Um, I think I looked at poses online or something, but I didn't, I didn't know what it was. I would just like hold downward dog for a minute and then stop. (laughs) And that was my yoga. I didn't know how to do it. And then that class in school taught me that. And then I started meditating and doing yoga and along with my self-help, because it's all kind of one world. Once you enter the self-help world, it steers you in that direction, right? I heard you say in your testimony too, like you got into veganism. And then as you were like researching veganism that sort of opened the other spiritual reasons for veganism so that was something I wanted to ask you about too is all these sort of doorways into the new age that we think are innocent but then you know like you said once you enter that world it's all kind of in the same world yeah and I mean I used to scoff at my dad (laughs) but I think that is how he views marijuana for like a gateway into other drugs. Right. And I started smoking weed when I was 14, same age as all this stuff hit me basically. Like I was depressed. All this trauma was coming up. I wanted to harm myself. I wanted to end my life. I wanted to make the pain go away. I got really sexual. I sought out boys. I started smoking weed. I started drinking. All these things were kind of together in this attempt to fill this void and and make this pain go away and make it better. This was all kind of one experience. And then the self-help direction felt like a healthier way to deal with those things as opposed to going the drug route, which I knew was bad. That's the thing is like, we're taught in society that that route is bad. We're not taught that new age is bad. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, the veganism came in college. So after my first year of college, which is was probably my most intense year of depression at the time, as I said in my testimony, like on my page, it kept getting worse every year. The depression would come back heavier and more debilitate debilitating. And I felt more kind of apathetic and just like unable to do anything. It was more lie in bed and wallow and well, it's not even the wrong, the right word. It felt like everything just felt pointless. Mm-hmm. There was a purposelessness to it. So every year that purpose, purple, purposelessness yeah. <laughs> got heavier. And after that year, because again, it was worse than ever, I went even deeper into self-development. Like, how do I fix this? Mm-hmm. How do I make this better? Like, I can't live like this. Yeah. So I got deeper into self-development and I was always into health. Like, I I thought I was so cool and smart and awesome when I was like 12 years old and working out three times a day. Like I, I was in retrospect, it was all coming from this place of not enough. It was all coming from this place of worthlessness. And I need to do these things to be a good person, to be worthy, to be joyful, like to, to function, to exist. Um, In retrospect, that's why I did the things I did, but that's what led me to veganism is this like interest in health and self-improvement and fixing myself. I thought I was deeply broken. I thought that I was a bad person inherently. I remember when I was seven years old, 
this was when I still was living in Russia. I think my dad had already moved at this point. He moved ahead of us to kind of set us up. So I think he was already gone. My mom and I were still living in Moscow for a few months. And I was seven and I made up this make-believe game like where I would one second pretend, like make-believe that I was my best friend at the time. Her name was also Anastasia, very common name there. And then I would switch on a dime and be me, this Anastasia. And when I was her, I was the most obedient, like good girl you could possibly imagine, like my concept of what it meant to be a good person. Mm -hmm. And when I would switch to me, I behaved like the devil, like I was chaotic and rude and cruel and disobedient, all these things. And that's the self-concept I held. I thought I was this inherently bad person. And I carried that with me up until like the last several months where really, I feel like Jesus pulled me out of that and showed me how worthy I am in his eyes. So all of this stuff I was doing was trying to fill that void of worthlessness and even beyond worthlessness, feeling like I was inherently just awful as a human. Yeah. And, you know, that's sort of a good recognition of like our our fall in this and the fact that, you know, we are sinful humans, but then there's a couple of different approaches from that point of, okay, so A, you know, the way we should go is I need Jesus, but B, the way many of us end up going for many years until we just keep finding emptiness there is trying to fix it and heal it ourselves. So you ended up, you know, going down route B until it led you back to route A. So tell us a little bit about, you know, I want to know about the the shadow work exercise that you did. You said it was like a three-day um, sort of like retreat for shadow work where you encountered Jesus. Was that your first time encountering him? Yes. So let me clarify a little bit. Um, after veganism, I kind of dived dove into the world of law of attraction because the YouTubers I found who were vegan were also into that. So that I landed there and then that deepened into the shadow work world because one of those YouTubers who was vegan, she started her YouTube channel as a vegan channel, then made it a law of attraction channel and then took ayahuasca and went that whole route and created a shadow work program based on her ayahuasca experience. So that's what it was rooted in. It was this like shamanic, Mm -hmm. AKA demonic shadow work program. It wasn't a retreat. It was, it was virtual. It was like an online course. So it was a recording, like a guided ceremony. Okay. And I practiced that for three nights in a row. Uh, She suggested doing it several times on the full moon. So that's what I did. and. It wasn't the first one, maybe it was like the second or third, but sometime in that period, I heard the voice of God. I didn't have a visual of God or Jesus. I don't remember what I had a visual of. I remember a lot of experiences that came up from my memory, mm-hmm. um, but there weren't a lot of supernatural visuals. It was mostly my life. Okay. And there was one point at which I think I was seeing nothing at this point. I think there was no visual attached to it. And I just very audibly heard the voice of God. I don't remember what he said, but it was the first time. I think the first, the only time now that I've heard him audibly and the first time I've ever heard him at all. At that point, I probably would have considered myself atheist Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. or maybe agnostic, but very close to atheism. Because I believed in supernatural. I believed in ghosts. I believed in things wow. of that nature. But I don't know if I believed in God at that point. Yeah. And this was also my rock bottom emotionally. Like This was that last cycle of depression I had. I didn't know it would be my last, but it was the last cycle of depression I had. And it was the heaviest. And my now husband, he was my boyfriend at the time. And I like, that was the only light in my life was having him there. And that was really rocky and not going well because I was such an emotional wreck. Mm. And I, what's, was it Tim Keller? I forgot who it is, but there's a quote by a man that goes something like helplessness, not holiness is the way into the presence of God. Something like that. Yes. Yeah. Tim Keller, because I recognize that and I love Tim Keller. So it might be and rest in peace. I I just heard he passed uh, last week. So I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But yeah, that's an amazing quote. Yeah. So I, that really felt like my helplessness moment where I experienced God because I was at rock bottom. And then I didn't really start to believe in him. In I mean, I believed in him. I believed in his existence, but I didn't pursue him yeah. in the way that I do now, certainly. But really in any way, what I pursued was more of these practices. Yeah. Pursued more shadow work. Oh, this worked. I came out feeling so joyful and so good mm-hmm. and not depressed and for the first time ever feeling alive and purposeful. And this is amazing. This must have worked. And I got to tell everybody about this. So that's what I did. That's how I ended up in coaching as I started telling everybody about this experience online. And then I dove deeper into inner child work and masculine feminine energetics and all this stuff. And at the root of my philosophy behind it all was shadow work was that we have to unconditionally accept every single part of us Mm -hmm. and that essentially that nothing is bad. So it really came crashing down when I came to Jesus and I realized there was a bad, that was like a whole earth shattering moment for me. (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. That's that's like when I saw a demon, it made me realize like, oh, demons are actually real. Like there actually is spiritual bad out there. And that was, yeah, an earth shattering moment. That was the first time I prayed to Jesus in over two years. But I was of that same ideology. And that's sort of what the new age teaches is everything is good. Um, you just accept everything as it is. Uh, you know, you are the sky, not the weather. And just all of this, you know, very just vague um just like blatant acceptance of everything even of what is what is wicked yeah when i first came out of that and i learned that there is a light and a dark and an evil and a good and whereas previously for example i believed in demons mm-hmm. um i i kind of i didn't have a firm understanding i i had two lines of thought on what they were. One was they're not real. They're projections of our own inner darkness that we, that we perceive, like we can perceive as very, very real, but they're actually just parts of us. Yep. And then the other line of thinking was, oh, they're real, but they like, they don't have any power over you Mm -hmm. if you're basically like loving. So what I did is I would love them away. (laughs) 
Yeah. I would tell them, I love you. I love you. I love you. And thinking that that would scare them away. And in my mind, like in my experience, it did. And I don't know if it was they, them just like appeasing me and playing with me and still controlling me in the background or what that was. But that, that was my practice at the time. Hey, you guys, if you're in a relationship and trying to figure out if he's the one, or maybe you're recently single and taking a step back to figure out how to best go about finding the one, I have the ebook for you. Head over to the link in my bio or in the comment section from wherever you're listening to find my latest ebook, How to Know If He's the One. In this ebook, I share the worst of my relational mistakes and how Jesus finally showed me there was a better way. Gradually, he began to mend my heart, and I know he will do the same for you too. For me, like I, ha- I had played with demons a lot when I was in the new age, but I didn't think that they were demons. I thought that they were, you know, interesting looking spirit guides. I remember seeing one and it had like the Joker sort of horns and tongue and colors. And, and I was on psychedelics this time when I saw them and they were laughing and they were playing and, and I was like laughing and playing with them. So I wasn't like loving them, but I was, I was low key loving them. Like I was laughing with them, playing with them. Um, and it was very scary. Like I remember too, I really liked to be in water when I was on psychedelics and I would sing this really eerie sort of melody. (laughs) And now I know like there's a whole like siren version of demon, like the aquatic sort of And so I never saw that one visually, but I really do believe I was like sort of channeling that with the open portal of psychedelic drugs and all the other divination that I was doing, but I didn't see them as, as demons. Same with like fairies and um, yeah, fairies, the sirens, the weird Joker thing, all these things I just thought were just sort of like neutral spirit beings until I saw the final like big bad demon. And then I was like, okay, that's a beast and he's terrifying and I need Jesus. But I remember telling my new age friends and they basically said the same thing that you just said was that, oh, it's just a reflection of inside yourself, like demons aren't real. And this is when I started to basically lose like my whole friend group that I had had in Arizona because they thought that I was like, they thought I was nuts. They, They really thought I was like losing it. So I don't know, did you encounter anything like that when you started to realize these things? Oh, yeah, there's so much here. One thing I want to say, it's been on my mind a lot and this like, grief and sorrow that I feel in regards to it is that the new age and people in the new age believe that anything channeled is good. Mm-hmm that a channeled program, a channeled book, like channeling is inherently just the spiritual truth that you're accessing. Yeah. And I see so many people in, I don't know if I would say my circle, but like in my sphere um, who, I guess I, we're, we're friends, but now there's just like a disconnect. So these people who were close friends of mine in any way, and now we're still connected, but there's just like, we don't understand each other. Like you said, like they don't get what I believe anymore. Yeah. Um, but they really value and almost put on a pedestal that idea of channeling. 
Yeah. They just want to channel more and channel more fully, like give their whole body the experience, really be possessed yeah. by the entity they're channeling. And that's one of the things that I, in retrospect, I think God protected me from. That's something that I never experienced or fully gave myself to. And I think part of me was scared and I'm glad that's the case. Like I think our fear is healthy in a lot of ways. And that was something that I actually had to grapple with when I came out of the not everything is good place and was like, now I have all this fear of stuff that's bad. Yeah. Well, we can get to that later. But when I, I did use the channel pretty much throughout my time in the new age, um, although in retrospect, I think it stopped maybe when I started going to church. Mm, okay. And I spoke about this a bit in my testimony, but I stopped really doing any of those practices when I started going to church and I didn't think about it. I didn't reflect on it. It wasn't a conscious decision. It just sort of stopped yet. I felt better and healed more and all this stuff than I ever had when I was doing the shadow work and the inner child work and stuff. Mm. So going back to channeling, cause I want to answer the question. So there's, there's a few different experiences with channeling where in retrospect, and even then I knew something evil was involved. I just didn't care to stop. I didn't think that channeling was the problem. I thought that protection was the problem, right? I was doing it wrong. I wasn't protecting myself as thoroughly as I should have. And that's why something dark came in. It wasn't the fact that I was opening myself up to possession. It was the way I was doing it. The first time I tried channeling was that story we talked about with my cat seeing me, or this was back when we lived in New York. This was the same year that I had done shadow work for the first time, the same year that my relationship was rocky. And I had just come out of that depression, like super recently and started getting into the new age. It wasn't until I came out of that depression through shadow work that I started going deep into chakras and going deep into channeling. And then we were, I started watching these channelers on YouTube that (laughs) would like predict the future and all this stuff. And my husband, Kevin was like, what are you doing? That that was, that was the point where he's like, okay, this is a little weird. Maybe you should stop. Um, But as, as I told you on my podcast with you, like I, I'd never listened to anybody. I was very rebellious. So I just kept going and I thought, I want to, I want to channel. This looks so cool. Like this, this looks so spiritual. It looks like they're accessing truth that like a human doesn't have access to. It's this like wanting to be like God live from the beginning of time. Uh, I want godly knowledge. So I sat down on my floor and I tried to channel the specific entity that one of the famous channelers out there would channel. He has a name for this entity and it's like an alien being. And I specifically tried to channel him and I felt like I succeeded, like I was getting communication. He wasn't speaking through me or possessing me, but I was communicating in like in my mind and he was able to manipulate my head. I asked him, I was like, take my body because I wanted him to possess me. I wanted him to speak through me like the channelers allegedly do. Um, but it just wasn't happening. So he just manipulated my head and yes and, or, and no motions to answer my questions. 
so that was the extent of the channeling. I don't remember what I even asked. I think it had something to do with my future at the time. Yeah. Divination. That's what it is too. Like you just want to know like your life, your purpose, your future. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't even like big spiritual truths about the universe or anything. It was like about me. <laughs> um, but my cat, I have two cats and a dog now. I didn't have a dog at the time. I had two cats. And one of them is like the most confident cat you'll ever meet. Nothing faces her. We adopted her from New Jersey and we took her for like an hour and a half, hour and a half on the subway to go home. Okay. And she was fine. She was sleeping. Like she is just the chillest, most confident cat ever. She walks into the bedroom where I'm sitting on the floor, like crisscross channeling this alien. And she just like all her hair stands up on her back. Like she's that epitome. Like you'll see the cat in the cartoon like that. She is terrified. Like her face is just shocked. Like she is traumatized and she runs off. She like bolts in the other room. And I I was laughing. I thought it was so funny. I knew it was in response to, I I connected the dots. I knew immediately it was because I was channeling something, but I didn't think it was something bad. I thought it was just, it surprised her. It was something unfamiliar to her. It wasn't necessarily something demonic. It just wasn't human. (laughs) (laughs) See, oh my gosh. Like I have a similar experience. I was telling you before we started recording with my dog and it was, I was channeling aliens too. I was super into aliens at that time. And, um, and I wanted to know my future. So of course I was asking questions about me. So I did psychedelics with that sort of intention of, you know, tell me, tell me what I'm supposed to be doing here. What my purpose is, how can I make, I just moved into a new apartment. So I was like, how can I be happy here? How can my dog be happy here? Like these were sort of my questions. And, um, I started to like feel this fear and like, I knew that the aliens were coming. Like when I closed my eyes, I was like seeing this weird spaceship approach me. I opened my eyes. That was my first encounter with God as well, which is just, that's why I was sort of like probing those questions is because he was there with me right before I went into like a really bad possession and season of my life. But I rejected him because I like, I didn't really believe, I didn't believe Jesus was God at that point. So when he's standing in my room, I was like, whatever, I need to know about the aliens and the great mother. And, but yet this thing that was coming, like came with this like terrible spirit of fear. And then it was like, upon me and I just felt anxiety and I started freaking out even more of like oh my gosh my dog isn't happy like I'm not happy and it was just this whole thing and so I went out to the living room and I looked at my dog and he like was trembling and he's a confident dog too like he's not no New Jersey dog but like he's a confident dog as well and he was trembling and like that's my baby you know like usually he looks at me and like you know he loves his mom and he knows he's loved But like, no, he felt, and I think you said in your video, like the skeptics will say, oh, you know, they just were spooked by something. But no, I really do think like animals, animals know and they intuitively feel that. So Doge knew. And yeah, I had the aliens come all around me after that. And they presented themselves to me in a different way because I told them they were scaring me, but I still didn't equate it that they were like bad. I was like, okay, this is just intimidating because my little human consciousness can't, um, you know, grasp that aliens are here right now. So present yourself to me like in a way that's not so scary. And they presented themselves in like a womanly human form who was like very sexy. And she was telling telling me my purpose was to be 
sort of like in that sex work world and that I was going to make a lot of money and I was going to have a lot of subscribers for doing this sort of thing. So I just wanted to share with you that too. Like my story so much aligns with that. And my dog knew even when I didn't know. Um, And even though like literally God himself told me like I didn't have to go in there, I still rejected him. And so that's why I screenshotted the verse before we started recording too. I know the Bible says it numerous times, but from 2 Corinthians 4, 4, uh, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Mm. I had no idea until later when I was saved and I looked back and I was like, oh my gosh, you were there. You were actually there. In retrospect, like I didn't even think about this until you you mentioned the terror and the anxiety that you felt. I don't remember. I think I felt jittery about the idea of channeling in general. So I remember a little bit of that. But that whole period of time, like three or four months after my first shadow work experience. I couldn't sleep. I tried sleeping with the lights on. The cats didn't like that. They were like, why are the lights on? They just raced around all night. So that didn't help. But I tried sleeping with the lights on. I couldn't sleep at all for months because I just had this terror overcome me every night. And I've always been kind of afraid of the dark. Um, I remember as a kid, my toys would move in the night and like the water in the bathroom would just turn on by itself. Like Things were happening in that apartment in Moscow. Not, I mean, there was all that stuff there, all those books yeah. and all that stuff happening. So I'm not surprised now. But as a kid, I also would bring this stuff to my parents. And my dad, the skeptic, would just brush it off and tell me that I'm imagining things. And my mom would just grow terrified and walk around with a candle from church and try to like cleanse the house, but not get rid of any of these stuff. Like there was no connection between these items and what was happening. And I didn't have that connection until recently. So as long as I remember like nighttime was a scary time for me, that's when supernatural things would happen. And for whatever reason, like this, didn't make sense in my concept of the spiritual world at the time. But when I, I guess, in retrospect, opened that door through shadow work, through the obsession with chakras and with channeling with all of that, all this stuff started happening at night, mostly just this terror. And then there were a couple of really weird experiences, a few dreams, and then a couple of like, I opened my eyes and it's still there sort of experiences. So there were dreams of these like hooded figures in my room, like a procession of hooded figures told me they were angels, but I was terrified in their presence. Yeah. So in retrospect, probably That's were fallen fun. angels. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there was like this procession of hooded figures. I couldn't see their faces. I think they were like black robes with hoods um, entering my bedroom. I remember that dream really vividly. And there was another dream where something similar was happening. Like I left my bedroom for some reason in the dream um, in the same apartment. All these dreams took place in my apartment at the time. And my dreams usually don't take place where I live. They're like much more Mm. imaginative. So I'm not sure how much of this was a dream. Yeah, I hear you. 
Yeah. So I, I exited. It was a one bedroom apartment. There were just two rooms, the bedroom and the living room. So I left the, the bedroom, entered the living room. And I think the hooded figures were in that dream too. I don't remember, but there's definitely presences. I don't know if they were, if they look like that. Um, but then there was also this little boy in the corner and I was terrified of him. Like I was in complete panic at the sight of this little boy. There was like something wrong with him. I don't really know what it was. He was speechless. He was mute. Um, he had this blank expression on his face. He was maybe about like seven years old, um, dark hair. And I tried to shove him out the window of my apartment. He just wouldn't go. And that was the dream. And I was terrified. Um, looking into it afterwards, I was like, maybe this is my inner child or something. But then why was it a boy? Then also I asked, I asked in the dream, who is this? And a voice I thought was God. I don't know in retrospect whether it was, but a voice I thought was God told me it's my son. Hmm. Um, so I don't know. I don't have children yet. I can't confirm that that's how my son is going to look one day, but that was a really weird experience. And the weirdest one of all, I woke up and there were these symbols floating all throughout my bedroom. And at that time, I was seeing a lot of stuff in my mind's eye. I was seeing colors. I was seeing weird symbols. I was seeing like sacred geometry. I was seeing all kinds of stuff when I would close my eyes. And this was with my eyes open. Like I opened my eyes and all throughout the room, there was this symbol floating around. And I was terrified because it won't go away. Like I like rubbed my eyes. I was like, what is going on? Um, and then I was really excited the next day. I'm like, oh, like my third eye is opening. I'm seeing all this stuff. I'm seeing all this true. I remember I would see a hexagonal grid wherever I looked. Like everything was made of this hexagonal undulating grid. So I saw all this stuff and the symbol was like, it was like a three-legged swastika. When I looked into it, it's called the Antikorana or something like that. Um and there's other versions of it and like Celtic symbology, things like that. But it's like a symbol that I'd never seen before and then looked into it and has all this history. So okay. it in the, I think Antakarana comes from like the Hindu understanding. I don't remember exactly anymore, but in that, oh, I think it might be a Reiki symbol. That's what it was. I think it was also in the Reiki symbology. Okay. And in that context it has its own consciousness and it's like alive and it's like a being wow that can appear as the symbol so I was really excited and I started drawing the symbol in places and then that didn't feel right so I stopped after like a day but that was probably the weirdest experience I had in that time frame where I was just like living in pure terror and panic at night and experiencing these weird things and like my third eye was opening and all that stuff yeah, what's interesting about what you said too is like I know when we see angelic beings of God's kingdom that it's still a very shocking experience um because it's you know it's supernatural that's going to shake any human a little bit but I'm pretty sure like every time that an angel appears in the Bible the first thing they say is not to be afraid. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is usually like don't worship me. I'm not I'm not God, you know, but not to be afraid. And so when I looked back, because going back to like, when you're in the new age, you think every spiritual encounter or channeled spirit, you think all of these things are good. But then if you reflect on like, how you really felt in that moment, and if there is like this, this terror, 
that we're explaining, like that's probably not a good spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when that perception of everything is good. And if you just love it all, um, it's, it's all integrated and has no power over you. When that fell, I was like, Oh, I need God. I don't know how to protect myself against this stuff. That was the first time fear came back in full force, probably comparable, maybe a little bit lower in intensity to that period of time right after the shadow work where I was experiencing all that weird stuff. I wasn't experiencing spiritual attacks um, when I first stepped fully into Christ, but it was just internal fear and demonic dreams. So like those kinds of, but not like outward somewhere in my room, I experienced that sort of thing, but it was demonic dreams and just like Mm. overwhelming fear. So I was like, I thought I beat this. I thought I knew how to handle this. And now I realized the way I was handling it was wrong. I remember back in New York before even before the shadow work, Teddy, that same cat, she's so perceptive. The other one is very dumb. So it's very uh, possible that he just like doesn't know what's going on. So Teddy, that same cat, she was terrified of the toilet. And it's not the first time, like, I'm sure she's seen a toilet before. It wasn't the toilet itself. It wasn't like flushing. Like it's just that spot in the house. Yeah. She would get really wary of. And so I went through the house with Sage. I was like, that's it. It's it's gone, Teddy. Don't worry. Everything is fine. Yeah. <laughs> and in retrospect, I think it did seem to work in the sense that she stopped behaving that way around the toilets. So I'm like, ah, clearly the sage works. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure it just kind of moved things about and the demons were just laughing at me from a different spot in the house (laughs) yeah I was gonna say they give you these little bits to make you think that what you're doing is successful so that you keep doing it and uh, coming to their modalities I remembered the thought that I had earlier too and that was how like you know we would think that when this feeling of terror comes in with like a spirit that we would be aware that like oh this isn't a good spirit but when you um When you grow up, especially like having this sort of like trauma or like you're used to like a lack of love or even like have an abused history like like I did, I feel like I wasn't able to discern the feelings in my my gut and in my consciousness. Like I feel like I had suppressed those feelings for so long because terrible things happened as a child where I just like, I don't know, like the abuse and the chaoticness and the terror almost felt like normalcy to me. So then later on when I was in the new age and these spirits were coming in that had these feelings associated with them, it wasn't a red flag to me because of the trauma that I already had. And I know so many people come into the new age because they have this kind of trauma, um, something that they're trying to heal and fix. And um, so I don't know, I was just kind of making that connection as well. You know, that the voice of the Holy Spirit, um, hearing God, feeling that discernment, listening to your intuition, like a lot of times we're just not like it, we're we're not receptive to that when we have all this traumatic history. Yeah. Intuition was something I felt like I really had to hone. And now I'm in a new phase of that of like, I don't know, I have to figure out all over again what I can trust and what I cannot trust because what I thought I could trust then turned out to be false but my husband has the most strong gut instinct ever Mm. just 
And he had a very warm, loving upbringing. He had some trauma and loss, but it wasn't like at the hands of those who loved him. It was actually what complicated his relationship with God was God killed a lot of people in his life. Like a lot of people in his life died um, in his family and in really tragic ways. So that became more difficult for him spiritually. But in terms of his parental upbringing, he felt loved and he felt warmth and I'd never thought about the connection between like his trust in himself and that, but yeah, that makes complete sense that he was always encouraged by his family. Like he wasn't judged or discouraged or criticized or ridiculed or humiliated or any of that stuff. Um, He was, he was encouraged and loved and supported. And as a result, he believed in himself and he believed in his instincts and they have been spot on the whole time that I was going to the new age. going to take a quick second here to tell you about Raised and Redeemed merch. I somehow end up in my bright pink Raised and Redeemed crew neck nearly every day because it's so comfy and I love to tell the world that I have been raised and redeemed in Jesus's name. And wearing something that says that is a great conversation starter. Not only do we have crew necks, but we also have t-shirts, hoodies, cropped hoodies, mugs, stickers, socks, and more. You can either follow the link titled Raised and Redeemed Merch in the comment section of wherever you're listening, click the link in any of my social media bios, or go to Raised and Redeemed, and that's spelled out, raisedandredeemed.creatorslashspring.com to order yours and support the show today. So going back to your story a little bit. So like you're deep in this world, you know, you're, you're channeling, you're doing all the shadow work. What led you to church? Cause you mentioned you stopped doing these things when you started going to church. So what in the world would have led you to church? Yeah, that's a good question. I still logically can only say, I don't know, but I can give you the sequence of events. And otherwise I I can only say like, God led me there. And in a way that he knew I would go. (laughs) So I didn't have this dramatic experience like you did of, oh, I need to turn to God. It was very gradual through church that I turned to him. Mm -hmm. The church was a different story for me. So in, at this point in my life, I had been coaching for, I think it was like three years, maybe three and a half years. I had been like deep in the coaching world, the new age world, Um, teaching shadow work, teaching inner child work. I wasn't teaching channeling, thank goodness. I feel like in retrospect, I was led away from some of these more demonic manifestations of the new age. Yeah. And I, there was so many points in which I thought, I want to bring mediumship into my business, but I don't know how. And then I just kind of left it. And then I never did. And all my friends at the time would encourage it. And I was like, I just don't know how it would work. Or like, I would give people intuitive messages in their sessions that they would come through or something, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. So in retrospect, I was very heavily protected from going some of these kind of darker rabbit holes. Yeah. And at this point, I was still deep into it and teaching it and trying to help people heal their trauma in these ways. And my husband and I had moved to Colorado at this point, and we started like building a community in a sense. We started making friends, and that was really important to me because I was afraid that I'd be like my parents who moved to the States and never really had that. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have that growing up. I never had a community. I never had 
family close by because we moved away from them. So I was, I was also an only child that was very lonely growing up and felt really alone. So my husband who comes from this big Irish family, he had the opposite experience of really rich support and not always like the best emotional support because there was more of a, don't talk about the negative things. Let's stay positive all the time sort of family but very loving, very, very warm and very big family that was all close together geographically. So they saw each other a lot and we both wanted that for our future kids. At this point, we, we hadn't started trying to conceive yet, I think just yet, but we, we had agreed that we would. So I think this was like right before we had started trying to conceive. So family was on the mind. We were like, we want to create this. We have some friends here, but it's not this kind of ride or die community. It's not this like deep, rich experience of a community. His family's far away. My parents followed me from Boston. They came to Colorado, um, but that's that's it, right? I wanted them to have more of a richer community like, like Kevin did. So the reason this came to church was because I was volunteering at the library at the time. I was, this was like the randomest decision of my life. Mm-hmm. I was again, kind of lonely, kind of secluded because I was working for myself because I was coaching. And I was like, I got to get out of the house and do something and be around people and not just like go to a coffee shop because that doesn't make me feel less alone. I'm just sitting there at a table instead of at home. (laughs) To me, it doesn't help, but it's not the same thing. So I got to go out and interact with people in my local community. So I volunteered at the library and I led this coffee, coffee chat thing um, where mainly like older women would come once a week and make themselves coffee from a Keurig and we'd sit around and talk about everything. <laughs> and it was at that place where I met, well, I think all the women there were Christian, but one of the women was really artistic and like looked like a hippie and was at least on the surface level, like into some Eastern things, at least acupuncture. I don't know how, how much she went into any of that, but so I related to her. And as a result, I trusted her. I, I didn't have these stereotypes blocking me from hearing a Christian out. <laughs> so they both, the other woman was kind of older and more kind of, I would imagine like an older generation Christian woman, but they both suggested, why don't you go to church? Like this is where we found community. Um, they both moved to Colorado from other places. And the the woman I could relate to more, she also had a kid. He was 10 years old at the time. They moved when he was just an infant. I think he, he might've been one, maybe even less, maybe even still an infant, um, but maybe like a toddler. Anyway, he was really young. So he grew up his whole life here in Colorado and her family was all in California. So this was something she grappled with a lot as well, especially because he's an only child. Mm -hmm. So like very mirroring, very much mirroring my upbringing with my parents. Yeah. And she wanted to consciously prevent those things that I had experienced. So she actually was asking me for advice, like as an only child, what do you suggest I do? And I was like, you're doing everything right. Like she was so intentional about making sure he was, like he had friends and community and all of that. So I I really, I felt how good her heart was, how much she cared about her son and all of this. And I related to her and I related to her son's story and all this. And when she suggested church, I actually heard her for the first time. And then I brought that conversation to my husband. He was thrilled. 
And there was, in retrospect, there was another woman I had met. She actually um, signed up for a consultation with me for coaching. She ended up not hiring me because I was talking about shadow work and all this stuff. And she was a Christian woman, but she came to me for a consultation. And then it was clear to me, like she wasn't going to work with me, but I really liked her and she was local. Like I think she even lived in the same town, maybe, maybe one town over. And I suggested we like just grab coffee and chat and see if, you know, we can connect in a more personal way. So we did. And she's very deeply involved in her church. And she came from, I don't remember if she and her husband ran a church in California where they also moved from, um, or if they were just like really involved in the leadership there, but they were really involved in their church in California. That's where they met. And then they moved here with their children and got really involved in their church here. And so she was talking to me about her experience and it, it piqued my interest a little bit. I was like, this woman seems really great. And she, it sounds like her church is really fulfilling for her and like brings her this community. So these two women were kind of in my ear and not again with no agenda. Like I expected Christians to be pushy. <laughs> was one of the things I expected. Neither of them was, they were just being them and answering my genuine questions. And the answer if you ask a Christian, it's always going to be Jesus. <laughs> so <laughs> their answers to my questions were always Jesus and church and things of that nature. So mm-hmm. she shared her story. She invited Kevin and me to come and I considered it heavily and he wasn't really into it because it wasn't Catholic. So we didn't go okay. fast forward to after this library conversation, I brought this up. I was like, why don't we check out that woman's church, like who I met with a couple months ago, Because I thought like the universe, God was taking me to that church because he put her in my path and all this stuff. So we went there. That's not the church we ended up sticking with, uh, but that started the search. We went there and with this plan of finding community for our future family, we kept trying churches and I am very obsessive about things. (laughs) I can be very relaxed about like going with the flow in a podcast, but when I'm into something, I just focus hyper focus on that thing so at that time it was church and like okay if we're trying church we're trying it with everything we got so I made a calendar with like seven different churches on it and all their services and all of their activities and like okay we're gonna dabble in all of these and see which one we like we didn't do all of that we went to a bunch of different services I want to say I had like 10 on my list and I think we went to like five churches or something but it was actually the way that I settled in the church we were we went to which at first i had a bad impression cuz it's like very very loud and like high production mm-hmm. which kind of turned me off at first it was the most like that of all the churches we went to so the most modern in that sense okay. um but actually god spoke to me and told me to go to that church mm-hmm. so we kept trying that one and every time we went the sermon was speaking to exactly what we were living to uh, living through in our lives and exactly what we need to hear. Kevin, and my husband would cry every time. He never cries. I was like, this is amazing. It's opening him up emotionally. Yes. So like, and for a while I kept going because, oh, he needs this. I don't. Mm. And because what they were saying felt like it aligned with what I believed about God in the new age at the time. Okay. So I was calling God, God at that point, but I was still in the new age. And so I still had that worldview. Um, 
But I do believe that God strengthened his relationship with me in the time that I was in the new age, despite the new age, not because of it, but that he used that really to, to deepen our relationship and to open that door wider and wider. And then church really just accelerated that process. You know, I understand that. I understand what you mean by that, because when I was first coming to faith in God in something, it did start in the new age world for me, but it, it wasn't very long, you know, a couple of years before I realized I kept seeking, I kept seeking for more, more truth and more closeness and more spirituality. And then that led me to Jesus. So the new age was one of those stepping stones to get me there. Uh, so I won't like completely demonize that experience. So I, I get what you mean in that and how, if you do keep seeking, you will eventually find him. That's he's, yeah. he's at the end of that pursuit. So that was sort of the last step was like, you know, this fear of the Lord that made you realize that you needed him. And like, then you got baptized right after that. Yeah. So throughout the church experience, it was like this gradual, gentle leading of me to God. Um, I was still in the new age and in church at the same time. So I was coaching. I was I mean, doing more than ever in my business, actually. I was like running more programs than ever. I was speaking on these concepts more than ever. And I think in retrospect, it all kind of had to work together because now I have the confidence in my business to speak on the things I'm speaking on now, which is God. But at the time, I was like more involved in my business and my coaching and the New Age community than ever, although it was more more kind of the coaching space and the new age spiritual space. So it was a little bit less new agey and the people I was surrounded by were more like business coaches and things of that nature. Um, but I was going head head first into that and going to church. I didn't feel a disconnect. I felt like they were working together. I felt like, like I said, like I knew God really deeply and church was just an extra intentional place for me to seek him now. And more importantly, the the decision I made when I came to church was about community. So mm-hmm. I was in that small group. I was developing community. It felt really good. I felt more supported than ever by humans around me for the first time. And it felt like everything was going really great. Like the last six months before I fully stepped into Jesus, I felt like this is the best my life has ever been. Everything is awesome. Um, and it was really a sudden conviction that's led me to fully step into Jesus and leave behind the new age. It wasn't one of those rock bottom moments again. It wasn't a fearful moment. That fear came after the fact when like the scales fell off my eyes and I realized there was good and bad because at the time I still didn't believe that. It was like new age church. It was like mixed the two things together and just blocked out anything that didn't align at the time. So really... I guess it was early April. Yeah, this was right after like a big new age conference I went to, (laughs) like a week after. um, I was scrolling on TikTok and this video came up from a Christian woman sharing an interview with Angela Uchi, like sharing her interview with Michael Knowles, I think it was. Yeah. And talking about the stuff she was doing, like the yoga and whatever, like astrology and all of that. And I was like, oh, this, this woman gets me. And I wanted to hear more of her testimony because it's one thing to, you know, everyone I've met through my church, they've been 
with Jesus their whole lives. Mm-hmm. And I mean, last night I had my small group and one of the women in it was telling me like that she doesn't have this stark contrast of being born again in her life. She doesn't have the stark contrast of, oh, now the Holy Spirit dwells in me because we were talking about the Holy Spirit um, and how how the apostles had that stark contrast because they were given the Holy Spirit in their lifetime and how cool that must have been and how much discernment that must have added to them because they knew the difference between the Holy Spirit and like their own voices and stuff. Anyway, so it was in that context and she was sharing that experience with me and pretty much everyone I met through my church in those more involved places, right? In the small groups and the Bible studies were of that walk. Um, so I didn't really have anyone in my personal experience who related to my story, who even knows anything about the new age. So I would dismiss everything they said about hypnosis being bad, even, um, the new age stuff being bad, all this stuff as, oh, they're just fearful. They were just raised this way, um, raised to fear the stuff from lack of understanding what it really is. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't hear anybody from this path of I was in the new age. And then I realized there was a line that I realized it was bad and went to Christ. It was more, I was already in Christ and knew that stuff was bad. So I didn't touch it. So I dismissed them as having these misconceptions. And when I heard Angela Uchi's story, I didn't really necessarily like the interview, but I, I, it opened the door for me to question this stuff. And then that day I binged and that's how I found your podcast. I binged new age to Jesus testimonies. And I was just convicted right then and there. I was like, I don't want (laughs) to open doors to demons. Like lucky for me, I didn't experience anything as bad as some of like the, the stories were like, I wasn't as involved with the demons. I think like, I just didn't let them in as much, but in retrospect, I think it was God protecting me. And that stuff scared me straight. Basically. (laughs) I was like, I don't want anything to do with this. And I'm just going to follow Jesus. Oh my gosh. That's so beautiful. I wish that I had the verse memorized about how um, it's like, we defeat the evil one uh, by sharing testimony of the blood of the lamb or something like this. The way that our testimonies can just reveal so much to one another. I, I love that. That's so beautiful. Well. I think that's all the questions that I have today, unless there was anything else. Um, there was one more thing I know we we were going to touch on just like how you really were, you really were healing and, you know, quote unquote, evolving and all these things while in the new age. But just looking back, like, you know, now it's because the goodness of God and just maybe because he was always there with you and it wasn't actually the new age things or those practices doing those things at all. But but really him. I loved hearing you say that. Um, yeah. And I still wonder, and maybe it's as simple as he just, he loves us and he's always with us. And it's a matter of how much we let him in, but I still wonder why, like why he was so watchful over me and had his hand over me. Cause I know I didn't deserve it, but my works, like, I know I wasn't seeking him at all yet. I do, I do feel that he was the one that was giving me that progress. Like it was his voice I heard in that shadow work ceremony. And that that's probably the reason that my depression lifted, not the shadow work and 
it makes sense then that Kevin, when he did these practices, nothing happened for him. And I thought it was because he wasn't emotionally open enough <laughs> that he just wasn't open to them. And if he just would relax and open, oh, he would like fall asleep half the time. <laughs> definitely relaxed. But I was like, oh, your subconscious is protecting you from the experience. Anyway, like they weren't working for him and they were working for me. And I think I don't really, I think it wasn't really that they were working for me, but that God was working for me. And I, I want to understand it. Like, I want to be able to tell people like, this is why he healed me. Cause there are so many people who seek healing earnestly and seek him earnestly and then suffer. And I'm sure that I'm going to have suffering in other ways. And I mean, I've been trying to conceive for a year and it doesn't mean I always get my way because he's working for me, but he just gave me such grace with healing my depression and protecting me when I was wandering away from him and all this stuff. And sometimes I think maybe it has something to do with my parents baptizing me and like giving me that tiny bit of relationship with him, that opening that door for me. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe it was my grandmother opening that door, but it just, yeah, my human mind wants to understand uh-huh. why, like, what I did to deserve it. But obviously, that's not the gospel. Like, we don't deserve God's grace. So, yeah, I'm just grateful for it. He just knew that you were his daughter. He knew you'd come back. Yeah. Well, for the final thing, would you just tell the listeners how they can stay connected with you? Just a little bit about your your coaching, um, your podcast, and if you wouldn't mind praying us out and maybe praying for that person who's teetering both worlds right now, kind of like where you were for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I am on Instagram. I'm on all the things, but Instagram is probably the best way to find me. It's just at Anna empowers a N a empowers. And my coaching right now is pretty simple. I have a lot of ways you can like, plug into it. I actually have a lot of free ways if you want to just sample sample the experience, but essentially I'm a faith-based life coach and God's really calling me to focus specifically on emotions. That's always been my focus in my coaching. And then I thought now that I'm faith-based, I'm going to have to do something different, but no, he's like, people need, <laughs> people need to know they can rest in me emotionally and bring all of their feelings to me and that I, I can help them through that. And, um, I'm studying the book of Job right now, which is really fitting. So that's really what I've been focusing on in my coaching. But whatever it is that you want to bring to me, some people bring to me kind of crises of faith and it really can be anything. And I'm just going to point you back to God and he will work through us and help heal you the way that he helped heal me for his glory. And yeah, I'm happy to pray for us too. Thank you so much, Heavenly Father, for bringing Michaela and me together today. Thank you for blessing her with this podcast and for glorifying yourself through this podcast, Lord. Thank you for pointing the listeners back to you and to your glory and to your unconditional, boundless grace and love. Thank you for healing us and loving us and saving us when we don't deserve it. And I pray for anyone listening here today that they may encounter you in a new way that you may reveal yourself to them in an undoubted way that they may need right now, that you may speak to them, that you may guide them and lead them to Jesus, to the cross 
away from anything that is driving a wedge in your relationship with them. I pray that you show them the truth, that you open their eyes when they are ready, Lord, when they are willing to listen. I pray that any rebellion within them falls away, any pride within them falls away, and they seek you and seek truth and seek light, even just in seeking truth. I know, God, that they will discover you because you are the truth, the way and the light, Jesus. And I pray all these glorious things in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this show, I'd love to have you leave a review, share it with a friend, and even connect with me on other platforms. It's at Michaela Nikolenko on Instagram and TikTok. And we also have an at Raised and Redeemed Instagram account too. I look forward to connecting with you there. Until next time, stay well and God bless you.